depend upon him. And so we depend upon him as individual Christians and also this church and, and the larger church depends on God. So one of the ways that we show that dependence is through prayer. Uh, and one of the ways that God provides that dependence is through answering prayer. So uh, please join me as we go to God in prayer this morning. Holy God, we pray that you will bless us as a church to walk in the ways of godly wisdom, that we will not allow the ways of the world to creep in and take hold. Holy God, we know that only by your grace can we do this. We pray to be fully submissive to you, and through that submission you will cause us to have delight in the gospel and in each other. We pray to be more diligent in meditating on the deep truths of the gospel day and night. We pray to be as a mighty tree planted by you, the great cultivator, next to abundant streams of heavenly grace. Holy God, we thank you for the many churches here locally and across the world that are Bible-believing and gospel-preaching. We pray for churches like First Faith and Faultville and Pastor Shannon Bishop and also the Brook in Madison, Pastor Brian Mayfield. We pray for those congregations, Lord, that you will reach uh, your believers through these churches and that they will be taught uh, the ways of the Lord. Lord, we pray for that all churches will stand firm in the sufficiency of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy God, we pray for those across the world who are being persecuted. We continue to pray for the more than 250 Christians who were killed and many more who were injured last Sunday in the suicide bombings in Sri Lanka. We pray that you will bind up their wounds as only you can and that you will give the Christians in Sri Lanka the grace to respond to these horrific events in a way that shines the light of the gospel to a watching world. And we pray for those who even now would perpetrate this kind of slaughter, that you will turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We pray that you will use this tragedy to bring glory to yourself. Even if we can't see a way, Lord, we know that in your providence you have ways. We pray for all Christians across the world who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Give them the strength to endure and the joy of being counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Holy God, we pray for those who you have sent out on the mission field. We pray that you will open doors of ministry, blessing partnerships and friendships, and that those who serve will be led by the Holy Spirit and recognize those open door opportunities. We pray that you will lead your missionaries past barriers to hearts ready to receive your word and that the Holy Spirit will provide them with words that communicate effectively in other cultures and languages. We pray that they will have boldness to overcome the fear of embarrassment or failure, being fully reliant on your sovereignty and in the gospel. We pray against evil forces that would seek to hinder the spread of the gospel. Holy God, we pray for various authorities you have placed over us. We pray for 
those from the, the Little League coach to the corporate executive to the Army soldier to Supreme Court justices, that all who are in authority would exercise it in fear of you. We pray for them that wise, godly counsel will be both sought and made available. We pray that you will use the institutions in which you have assigned various forms of authority to help us flourish in you. We pray that you will continue to bless us with living in a free society where we can meet as Christians without fear. And although we lament many of the things that we see in the larger society, we praise you for the relative peace and stability we live in. Holy God, we pray for our sister Sandra Sharp that you will continue to strengthen her and give her recovery from surgery. We pray that her strength will be your strength and her faith will be increased by her dependence on you. Holy Father, we pray for our brother Russell Berger that you will open a door for him as he seeks employment. We pray that you will continue to use him in sharing and defending and serving the gospel in whatever new job you provide. Holy God, we thank you for new faces and visitors in the church and pray that by your grace, we are welcoming and loving as befits a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether we're new members or veteran members or whether we're younger or older or man or woman or black or white, in all of our diversity, we pray that you will bond us together as the body of Christ. And we come before you praying these prayers knowing that you seek to do us good and knowing that you can answer these prayers and will answer these prayers. And we pray them in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is really good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm very used to being with you guys in a certain capacity and leading music, and uh, for those of you who have been in the church for a while, you remember that I, I did quite a bit of preaching a couple of years ago, uh, but it's been a while, uh, 51 weeks actually, and I, I realize I'm the only one that's counting that. <laughs> um, but I just want to say it's really good to be with you all this morning, and to be with you in this capacity, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to preaching God's word to you this morning. Hashtag Blessed. If you are on social media of any kind, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you've seen this phrase used, hashtag blessed. If you're not on social media, you've, you've seen something like this. If you've driven around town and seen a car, maybe a very expensive car that's got a license plate that says blessed or a, a bumper sticker that says, you know, the Lord's favor or blessing or whatever, you've, you've experienced uh, what I'm about to, to share. Blessed and blessing are words that people generally use in the world around us to describe uh, financial gain or professional success or uh, in their minds some sort of seemingly supernatural favor that, that you know maybe for them could have only come from the Lord. 
at the very moment that I thought through this and wrote this very sentence, uh, I, I went on Twitter and I did a search for hashtag blessed just to see what would come up. And the, the top result that came up was uh, a woman who, in the middle of a rainstorm, had just found the perfect parking spot right next to the restaurant that she was looking forward to meeting a friend for lunch. The next result below that was a guy, uh, pardon me, with his shirt off uh, on his yacht, driving it around, singing, just singing about whatever, uh, hashtag blessed. Not sure the context there. We as Christians use the word blessed to describe when we're healed from sickness or uh, when we truly appreciate getting to be with our families or when the Lord delivers us from a, a nasty or a dangerous situation. We might use it to describe when the Lord uh, keeps us from sinning or, or when the Lord provides a way for, a, way for us or helps guide us through some, some sort of uh, important decision. And these can all be very good things. Even, even financial gain, even professional success, these, these can be good things if they're used for the glory of God. But the fact is that we rarely use the word blessed the way that the Bible uses the word blessed. It's like the word love. Excuse me. It's like the word love. We, we might say that we love the Lord. We might say that we love our spouse. But then we might also turn and say that we love Vietnamese food. Or we love a new shirt that we bought for ourselves. Or the word awesome. You know, we say that God is awesome. The Bible is full of this language that God is awesome. We might use that word to describe God and then, and then in the next breath use that word to describe the new Marvel movie. Do you guys see the problem with that? Just moments ago, my wife Allison read from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus describes those who are blessed as the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and, and the writer goes on and on. And this not only gives light to how God and the Bible define the word blessed or blessed, but it also cuts right through our common understanding and our co even our common usage uh, of that word, blessed. So when the writer of Psalm 1 says, blessed or blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, even for many of us here who are Christians, that word used in that context may not resonate with us. And I say that because in the context of Psalm 1 and in Matthew chapter 5, it's being used in a way that's almost antithetical to the way that we are used to using that word, the way that we're used to seeing that word used. The biggest distinction between these two usages of the word blessed or blessed is that one is primarily focused on temporary things, the things of now. And the biblical usage of this word is primarily focused on eternity. Blessing might have temporary components. To be blessed may very well have temporary here and now components about it. But blessing is ultimately an eternal concept. Blessings in the here and now are really only truly blessings from the Lord if they ultimately feed into eternal things. And our focus this morning in Psalm 1 is going to be on eternal things. So I invite you this morning to turn with me uh, to Psalm chapter 1. It's in the Black Bible in the pew in front of you. It's page 448. Welcome to use your Bible app or look on the screen behind me. Psalm chapter 1. 
And as we read this psalm and as you listen this morning, I want you to try to put your focus on eternity and put your focus on eternal things as we go through Psalm chapter one this morning. Again, it's 448 in the Black Bible in front of you. Psalm chapter one, let's read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good and true and holy word, which is inerrant, infallible, and is perfect for us and is useful for our daily lives. Lord, this morning, as we dig into this psalm, we pray that its words would be planted as seeds in our hearts. We pray that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I have three points this morning for you note takers. I know we have a few note takers and it helps me stay organized mentally, so three points for you all this morning. Very simple. Number one, the righteous man. Point number one, the righteous man. Number two, the unrighteous man. And point number three, uh, the judgment of God. So number one, the righteous man. Number two, the unrighteous man. Number three, the judgment of God. Point number one, the righteous man. Looking at this text, looking at Psalm 1, we can see two paths. We see the path of the righteous man, we see the path of the unrighteous man. And if we look at the psalm carefully, we see that these paths are sort of interwoven, almost like a DNA strand. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to separate these two strands out. We're going to look at the righteous man and then look at the unrighteous man, look at these things separately. Psalm 1 says this about the righteous man. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. In order to fully appreciate the psalm, Psalm 1, we need to have a really firm understanding, firm grasp on verse 2 of the psalm. So let's sit in verse 2 for a few minutes this morning together. The psalmist gives exactly one distinguishing attribute of the man he calls blessed or blessed in this text. And it's this. It's right here in, in, in verse 2. The man who is blessed is the one who delights in and meditates on day and night the law of the Lord. Say that again. The one who delights in and meditates day and night on the law of the Lord. This is the attribute that the psalmist gives to, to the man who's, who's righteous, the man who's blessed. And we can easily just pass right through this verse, I think, without really feeling the weight of what the psalmist, of what the writer is, is trying to communicate here. And I think the biggest reason for that is because the language of this verse is a little bit foreign to us. So we see words like delight and, and meditates. We're going to look at these words just for a moment. 
Delight is not a word that we often use. Delight, delightful. This is just not a very common term in the United States in 2019. A closer word maybe for us, for our understanding, would be perhaps desire or pleasure. And so if we look elsewhere in the Old Testament, we'll see the same Hebrew word is used in this way. Delight, desire, pleasure. What I don't want to happen is I don't want us to get through this verse. I don't want us to get away with thinking that it is maybe simply delightful for the man to love something deeply, for this righteous person to love something deeply. We, we want to look at this more as desire, pleasure. It's more as if blessed is the man whose desire is for, blessed is the man whose pleasure is found in God's law. This man longs for God's law the way that a newly married husband might long for his bride, for his spouse. The newly married husband desires his bride. He desires her. He's pleased by her. He can't stand to be away from her. When he is away from her, she's all that he can think about. And so is the righteous man's love for the law of the Lord. And this man's desire, this man's pleasure is so rich, so rich for God's law that he meditates on it day and night. We think about the word meditate or meditation. Some, something conjures up, something comes to mind. But I want to tell you that, again, this word here in the Hebrew invokes a deeper emotion than meditation. We think of maybe just sitting and quiet and thinking. The emotion that's invoked here is really moaning and groaning. He moans and he groans over the law of the Lord. I think the best way that I can describe this is it's a deep utterance out of the heart, a deep utterance out of the soul. And I think this fits right in line with, with our thinking on pleasure or desire. This man thinks about God's law all the time. He utters it out of his soul constantly. He strives day and night to understand it better and better. He rolls it over and over in his mind and his heart like a wine connoisseur, maybe a whiskey connoisseur, would, would take something that's been aged appropriately and, and rolls it over his palate, kind of tasting all the different notes and textures. Pardon me for binding consciences. <laughs> he holds it up and he, he rotates the word back and forth like maybe like a jeweler might hold a large diamond up to the light and looks at it and turns it all different ways and, and sees all the different reflections and all the different colors that come out of it. This man wants to explore the depths of God's law as much as the depths of God's law can possibly be explored and it utters out of his heart. And all this, all this over what the psalmist phrases as the law of the Lord, the book of the law. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this terminology, the law of the Lord, but we're, we're mainly referring here to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God's law delivered to the Israelites. And so I would ask you this, Really? Page after page of, of do this and don't do this have rules and, and statutes and things to follow and things to, to do and not do? Who here among even the most faithful of us Christians who love the Lord and love our Bibles really feel this way, when we think about our Bibles, 66 books, feel this way about Leviticus, feel this way about Deuteronomy? Leviticus, it's the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and it's that book that that many Christians on January 1st or January 2nd will say, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. I'm gonna read the whole Bible, January 1st to December 31st. And then they get somewhere around Leviticus chapter five and they give up. 
And I say that as someone who's experienced this myself. Friends, what I want to tell you, what I think we miss when we think about God's law this way, if we indeed think about God's law this way, what we miss is that God's law is God's word. God's law is the word of the Lord. And even more than that, God's law, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, these books reveal, they reveal the very nature, they reveal the very character, the very holiness of God. They reveal who God is. This, this blessed man is consumed with knowing God's law more and more deeply because he knows that the more deeply he knows God's law, the more deeply he will know the God who delivered that law. He knows that the nearer that he draws to God, then the more he will want to know God's law. And you see this process reciprocates. It's almost like an object being drawn out of the atmosphere in, into a planet's gravitational pull. Another way to say that is, is this. Blessed is the one who is seized by the gravity of God's holy word. We are blessed, church. We are blessed if we recognize that God's word is the very thing that keeps us rooted and grounded day after day. If we love the Lord, if we truly love the Lord, if he has saved us, if, if he's made us righteous, then we want to be with him. We want to be near him. And one of the ways that we can be most with the Lord is by delighting, by taking pleasure and by desiring his holy word delivered to us. So I say that, friends, I want you to love God's word. I want you to be excited about what God has to say through Leviticus, through Deuteronomy. I want you all and I want myself more and more to love this thousands of year old, thousands of years old book that the world thinks is just utter foolishness. I want you to love it. I think one of the biggest issues that we Christians find when we think about this, when we talk about loving God's law and loving God's word, his full counsel, one of the biggest issues that we face is that there are hundreds of other things all around us that are competing for our love. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to that thought in point number two, but even by me just saying that, that there are so many other things competing for your affections, competing for your love, you've already thought of something. I think most of you probably have. And I would say in light of that, I, I would say that week to week, one of the ways that we as Christians, as a church, can be most with the Lord or draw nearest to him is when we put our weeks behind us and we gather together right here on Sunday mornings and we sing together and we pray together and we read God's word together and then at the apex of all of this, we come together and we hear God's word preached faithfully. Each of our weeks, this is one of the ways that we can draw nearest to him. And then after Sunday, when we go from here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and our, our weeks take all kinds of unexpected turns and we might perhaps find ourselves drying up a bit. We find ourselves needing once more that rich, fertile soil of God's word, that holy and righteous and good counsel. And that image of rich, fertile soil is exactly where the psalmist leads us now out of verse two and into verse three. So look at that with me together. In verse three, the psalmist writes, the man who loves God's word is 
like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. He continues in verse four to say, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, if I tried, I could not think of a better metaphor here for someone who loves God's word than that of a tree that is planted in fertile soil, bearing fruit. Soil here, bearing fruit here. The, the uh, NASB translation, which some of you might use, it's a, it's a slightly even more literal translation than the ESV that we're reading from this morning. It says this, uh, that he is like a tree, not just like a tree planted, but like a tree firmly planted. So a tree firmly planted by streams of water bearing fruit. There's so much imagery to observe here. We, we think about the trees all around us and I, I think that the image that the psalmist is most likely trying to communicate here to his audience, to his readers, is that of a fig tree. We don't have a lot of fig trees around here. And by that I mean we probably have zero. <laughs> fig tree. I don't know if you've ever seen, some of you are shaking your heads, it shows what I know about trees, right? Um, if you've seen a fig tree before, a fully grown fig tree, it looks like this. It's, it's massive, okay? They can grow to be like 30 feet tall, but not just 30 feet tall, they can grow to be 30 feet outward. And the branches, as, as the tree grows and grows, the branches stretch outward and outward and outward. So you get this image of this big, strong tree, 30 feet tall, where its branches are grown out just as wide as it is tall. And, and what's really interesting about fig trees is the root system. And a lot of, most trees that we see just have the roots that go all the way into the ground and that's the last we see. We see the trunk and the roots are gone into the soil. But the interesting thing about fig trees is that their roots grow out and along the top of the soil. So you'll see this big strong tree with these big branches and all this fruit and this giant system of roots that's grown across the top of the soil. The interesting thing about that is because the fig tree's roots sit on top of the soil, it doesn't suffer by having water kind of sitting all around it, flowing all around it at all times. A lot of trees, you can overwater and you can kill it. But a root tree, uh, excuse me, a fig tree succeeds if it is planted right by streams of water. Not only that, such a tree will bear healthy fruit each season. It's, it's planted here by water. It's got the streams of water flowing and giving it everything it needs and it's bearing fruit. Fig trees will bear fruit once a year, maybe twice a year, and if they're healthy, they will bear, treat for, they'll, they'll, they'll bear fruit for decades, 40, 50, 60 years. We could take some time here to kind of meditate on fruit, but I'm just going to point you to Galatians chapter 5 and what Galatians 5 says about the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, and peace. And some of you want to ask you this, do you now see why the psalmist might compare the one who loves God's word, the one who meditates on God's word day and night to a tree that's planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season? I think the easiest observation is that this tree has everything that it needs. Think about this simple pastoral looking scene here. This tree has everything that it needs. A person who is planted firmly in God's word has everything that he needs. Let's say that again. A person planted firmly in God's word has everything that that person needs. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says about this, this person. And one of the beautiful things about this psalm is just like this tree kind of branches reach out, this psalm just reaches out into the rest of the Bible and you're just gonna see these connections all throughout the Old and the New Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, Jeremiah says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. 
He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Same thing. (laughs) Blessed is the one who loves the word of God because in doing so, in loving the word of God, this person has all that he needs to prosper. We, we read a piece of verse four just a moment ago. Verse four says that for the righteous man, in all that he does, he prospers. and everything that he does, he prospers. So we're gonna look to another Old Testament text. The, the Lord said something very similar to Joshua when, when Moses died. In Joshua chapter one, and Joshua's now in charge of the Israelites and to lead them into the promised land. And the Lord says this to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. There's that language again. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We see this language here of prosperity and success and we might be kind of tempted, we might tend to kind of bend towards, you know, the world's definition of prosperity and success. But what this phrasing really means here is that you'll act wisely. You'll have good success. You will act wisely. So we're kind of reminded of this picture of hashtag blessed and we look at Twitter and we see what that, what that's about. We're not talking about financial prosperity or, or professional success or finding the right parking spot in the rain. If you love the Bible, things don't just magically fall into place in your life the way that you might think things should fall into place because that's not God's eternal definition for prosperity. By planting yourself into God's word, by taking pleasure in his word, you will act wisely. You will have success and you will prosper in this way. I think maybe a better way to say this is that if you're not rooted and grounded in God's love, in God's word, pardon me, if the Bible just doesn't really mean that much to you as you think about your days and your weeks, uh, then you're not going to act wisely. You're not going to live a life according to godliness and holiness if you don't draw near to his word because you're not even going to know how to do that. The one who is blessed because he loves the word of the Lord and finds himself planted like a tree firmly in the soil by streams of water that are flowing continuously and bearing this fruit in its season over and over. The psalmist says that this person is righteous before God. This person is righteous before God. But before we move on from this, we need to be really careful here because also the Bible makes it very, very clear uh, that loving the Bible is not what makes a person righteous. You guys understand the distinction? I want to make sure this is very clear. The psalmist is communicating that God has made righteous the person who loves the word. Okay, so let me just kind of talk through this briefly and say it again. The Bible is not saying that loving the Bible makes a person righteous. The Bible is saying, and the psalmist here is saying, that the person whom God has made righteous is characterized by a love of and a characterized by a knowledge of the word. And we will come back to this in, in point number three. 
These are all the things that the psalmist here says about the righteous person. Now we move on to point number two, the unrighteous person, the unrighteous man. Everything that we've looked at this morning so far in Psalm 1 has been about the righteous. And the rest of the psalm is about the other person. The rest of the psalm is about the person the psalmist calls wicked or not righteous. This unrighteous person, looking at verse 1, walks in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of sinners and sits in the seats of scoffers. And we're not going to spend nearly as much time in this point because I think that the best way to describe the unrighteous person is simply this. Everything that the righteous person is, the unrighteous person is not. We, we read from a passage just a few minutes ago in Jeremiah chapter 17 where Jeremiah basically says some of these same things about the righteous person being a tree planted by water. And that's, that's not all that Jeremiah says here. He, he refers also to the unrighteous person. And he has this to say about the unrighteous man. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. A terrible picture. We have this picture of this healthy tree that has everything it needs and now we have this picture of this rotting shrub that has nothing that it needs. This picture is intentional. The unrighteous man is, is the polar opposite of the unrighteous. The righteous man is called blessed and the unrighteous man is called cursed. The righteous man trusts in the Lord but the unrighteous man trusts in whom? In himself. He trusts in his own flesh. The righteous man turns his heart toward the Lord And the unrighteous man turns his heart toward the counsel of the wicked and away from the Lord. The righteous man is a tree by streams of water. We've got this imagery fully in our minds now. And the unrighteous unrighteous man is a, a shrub in the desert that's shriveling. The desert, there is no water there. There is no, there are no streams of water. This, this shrub has nothing to sustain it. It just sits there and it's scorched by the sun and just burns over and over and over, dying of thirst. So we see that this picture that, that Jeremiah gives us and the picture that the psalmist is, is trying to bring out here is that the unrighteous man's life is, is this photo negative of the righteous man. So we might ask ourselves, what is, what's, responsible for, what's responsible for this fundamental disparity between the lives of these two men. We have these two pictures, right? We have this healthy tree and we have this shriveled up burning shrub. What's responsible for this disparity? And if we look in Psalm 1, if we look in the text, we'll see that it's simply in the company that he keeps. That's the visible difference between these two men, the company that they keep. For the unrighteous man, look at the text. It says his counsel is with the wicked, The righteous man's counsel, where, where do we find that in this text? The righteous man's counsel is, is in the word of, of God. So the unrighteous man has his counsel from the wicked. The, the righteous has his counsel in the word of God. And the unrighteous man gets all of his wisdom from other men that are just as unrighteous as he is. And the righteous man gets his wisdom not from here, but from here, from the word of the Lord. That's the reason if you haven't gotten the picture yet, that's the reason that the righteous man 
is as healthy as he is, that he is a healthy tree. That is the distinction between this healthy man, this healthy tree, and this, this dead shrub. And it's because the word of God is the source. It's the source that's feeding the tree. And in much the same way, the unrighteous man is fed by the poisoned well of the company of fellow sinners. So the psalmist takes the righteous and the unrighteous and he, he takes the things that they believe in, the things that they trust in, and he puts them completely at odds with each other. What does that mean? Well, it means that it is impossible for a man to both love the word of God and to walk in the counsel of the wicked. These things are opposed to each other. A true love of God's word is, is opposite to standing in the way of sinners and, and sitting in the seats of scoffers. These two loves cannot coexist within a person. And just as God's word draws the righteous near to his heart through his word, this unrighteous man hates God's word. He wants to, to draw others away from it and toward other things, whether he realizes that or not. He hates it. We think about this concept of one loving God's word and, and another hating God's word. We can look back to, to Genesis and just see this picture so clearly. I know that some of our ladies have been doing a, a Bible study in, in Genesis and I, I would imagine you've seen the same thing. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, when he drew them both into sin, he asks Eve, the initial offense here, the question he asks is, did God really say dot, dot, dot? Did God really say? And, and this, was the, this was the impetus of sin entering the world. It entered the world when God's very good creation was drawn away from, from God's very good words, from his good counsel, and drawn into the counsel of the wicked, the counsel of Satan. The word tells us that God is the father of the righteous, and, and just, just so, Satan is the father of the unrighteous. God draws himself near to his people through his word, and, and Satan effectively draws people nearer to himself by twisting and poisoning God's word. So I think it's, it's worth considering for a moment, for us to just stop for a moment and consider why, why does the unrighteous person hate the word of God? Why does he hate the word of God? I think we can think through this pretty easily. I think the reasons are pretty straightforward why the unrighteous person hates God's word. It's because God's word doesn't have very good things to say about people, about humans. We look at it and, and, and the Bible tells us who we are and that picture is not pretty because we're all sinners lost in a dying world as we're born into the sinful world. And then the Bible tells us about who God is and, and that picture gets even worse. That, that chasm grows even wider because we're here and God is up here holy and righteous and blameless and perfect. And then the Bible tells us that our only hope is to completely deny what we want, our desires, push those things away and to trust that this holy and righteous and blameless and perfect God is going to change our desires and give us something different. And the unrighteous person likes what he likes. He wants what he wants. He, he wants what he's used to and what he's comfortable with and he, he decides to continue trusting in himself and the things that he knows. And friends, we know, those of us who are Christians, we know the unrighteous person has no hope. There is no hope. The unrighteous person's attention is consumed by everything that the world has to offer him. And there's no hope there. There's no streams of water there. 
my fellow Christians, those of you here who believe and hope in Jesus Christ, I wanna say that just as the unrighteous person can be drawn away and consumed by all these things, so can we. The same things can happen to us. There's so many, as I said before, so many things in this world that are competing for our attention, competing for our affections, competing for our love. There's so many, so many good movies, right? And so many good TV shows and so many things to go do and see. And Not that these are all necessarily bad things, but, but some of these things that can seem benign to us can just as easily be things that the enemy uses to draw us into the counsel of the wicked, to draw us nearer to himself. You know, I, Russell referred to this in his prayer of confession this morning. There, there are particular TV shows. There is one particular show right now that's kind of all the rage in social media. Uh, and by all appearances, it is deceitfully drawing people who even profess to be Christians into its counsel, into its wickedness, into its sinful grasp. Friends, many of these distractions, I want to say they are literally competing with God for our affection. They're, com- they're literally competing with God for our souls. They are literally competing against God for our souls. And they are attempting to draw our attention away from God's word and to diminish uh, our love for it. It's in the very nature of men and women. It's in, it's in our very nature, whether we believe in Jesus or not, the righteous, the unrighteous. It's in our very nature to, to act, to function as evangelists. We are all evangelizing something. We are all preaching the truth of something and trying to draw people towards something. And all these things that are competing for our affections, we're either being used by God to attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ or we're being used by Satan to attract people towards anything and everything else. We're either being drawn into God's holy word or, or we're pushing it away. I know that seems like a, maybe an unfair black and white sort of picture but I think that that's the picture the psalmist paints here. There's not really this gray area between these two things. It's a, it's a love of the word of God or it's a love of something else. And the fact of the matter is, is, I've asked you to think about eternity. The true affections of every person are, are going to be revealed. The hearts of every person are going to be revealed. And that brings us to point number three. And that's the judgment of God. If you've been in this church for very long, you've probably heard Sean or someone else stand behind this pulpit and say this phrase, you are going to die. Each and every one of you, you're going to die. You, everyone you know, everyone that you have ever known in your lifetime, we are all going to die. The righteous man is going to die. And the unrighteous man is going to die. Both of these, these two men these two people are going to come to the same end. But the point is that the end is not going to be the same for these two men. So the psalmist writes this here. He knows that the paths of both of these men are going to eventually terminate. They're going to come to an end. Every bit of the psalm points forward to eternity. So we see in verses four and five and six, for the righteous man, as we kind of weave these things back together here, 
For the righteous man, his leaf does not wither. But for the wicked, the wicked is like chaff that the wind drives away. And just so, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. But the righteous will. They will congregate and stand together. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is an Old Testament text written in an Old Testament context. And because of that, we spent a good deal of time in the Old Testament this morning. But I want to make sure that it's clear that nothing changed with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing changed from Psalm 1 through the Gospel of Matthew and and on to this church today. Jesus reinforces these same exact truths in the Gospel of Matthew. If If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you know that particularly the last half of it, Jesus has a lot of things to say about things that are to come. And a big part of that is Jesus has a lot to say about the judgment of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. For the righteous man, the leaf of his tree does not wither. And that's not just talking about as you go about your days and weeks and years and and the ways that you will act wisely and succeed. That's pointing forward to eternity. His leaf does not wither. But the leaf of the unrighteous man will fade. And the imagery that the psalmist gives us is that it's going to be like chaff that the wind drives away. If you've ever taken a a pile of old leaves and thrown them into a fire and just watched as they curl up and crumble and become lighter and lighter until the wind eventually just blows them away, this will be the end of the unrighteous man. Matthew chapter 21, we've, we've looked at the imagery of a fig tree this morning and Jesus encounters the fig tree in Matthew chapter 21. It's not bearing fruit. And he curses the tree. He says to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the disciples see this tree immediately just kind of wither up and die. This will be the end of all the unrighteous. The psalmist tells us that in the judgment, the unrighteous are not even going to be able to stand. A little bit later in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this to his disciples. Listen carefully. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, to his sheep, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, to the goats, depart from me, you cursed. See, blessed, cursed. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, all things are going to come to an end. Everything is going to end but the end is not going to be the same for everyone. Almost everything that you have heard me say this morning uh, is about the righteous person loving God's word, the unrighteous person not loving God's word, hating God's word, and, and, and hear now that God will judge both the righteous and the unrighteous. 
if you're a Christian here this morning and we've talked about this deep love of God's word, uh, I think that there's a chance that some of you might feel a little bit discouraged. You might, you might look at your own life, look at your own self and say, I don't feel like this healthy tree planted by streams of water. And what you might do if you think down that path is you might wonder if your love for God's word matches the righteousness that God has graciously granted you through his son. And so I just want to remind you what the Bible says about righteousness. Here we have this picture of the righteous person loving God's word, but listen to what Paul says in Romans 3 about righteousness. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned, that's all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's righteousness. There's nothing that you can do to earn that gift of grace, of salvation, of the changing of your heart. You can't earn it by reading the Bible. You can't earn it by saying you love the Bible. You can't even earn God's grace by loving the Bible. But I believe that I'm safe in saying that you cannot love the Bible if the Lord has not made you righteous. The point of this psalm, the point of this picture of this tree planted by streams of water is, is not to heap guilt upon the believer. It's not to heap guilt upon the one whose heart has been changed by the Lord. The point is to reinforce this intimate connection between God's word and God's people. This connection between the word and the people that God has saved. And it's also to remind us that as Christians, the Lord has saved us. And he's also given us a path. He's given us a path to draw nearer to him. He's given us a path to draw nearer to his heart and, and nearer to his love. And the main way that he's done that, friends, he's done that through his word. Finally, in verse six, the psalmist writes that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I want you to look at this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He laid out that path, that way. He laid that out before the foundations of the world. And that path, brothers and sisters, that path does not change. (laughs) And it doesn't change because God doesn't change. Everything about loving God's word, everything about walking in righteousness, everything about the true gospel, the true gospel being Jesus Christ plus nothing else, all these things are eternal. These, these concepts, these, these things, they're all eternal. The way of the righteous does not change just as God's word is unchanging. The apostle Peter, he quotes Isaiah when he says this, all flesh is like grass, All its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. Now listen to this. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of God and and the way of the righteous, it, it will last forever. And we as Christians, we celebrate this. This this should cause us to rejoice. And one of the reasons for this is because what the psalmist says after this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That way will perish. 
Sin and death will be no more. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Every sickness will be healed. All sadness, all sin, all death, it will be no more for those of us who believe and that is our greatest hope. But just so, the Lord knows the way of the wicked and he also knows that the wicked themselves will perish. The truth is, if you don't know it, if you haven't heard it, the truth is that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if he is not your savior and not your hope, hell awaits you. That's the truth of the gospel. God's wrath is going to meet the unrighteous face to face. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you these things are foreign to you, this love of the word and this concept of righteousness and being saved by God's grace, if these things are foreign to you, my plea is, is simply to put your hope in Christ, hope in him. Stop hoping in the things of the world, the things that, that try to draw each of us in. Stop hoping in these things. Stop walking in the counsel of the wicked. you're here this morning and you don't believe and I know this from experience part of what you know is that something is missing you go to bed at night you wake up in the morning and something is not there and what's missing is the love of Jesus Christ what's missing is the good counsel of his word and if this is you this morning I just want to invite you find an elder find a member of this church and just ask them about this hope of Christ after the service finally brothers and sisters my encouragement to my fellow believers my fellow church members my fellow Christians this morning my encouragement to you is to learn to love God's word more and more if God has changed your heart and see the goodness and the richness of his word and learn to meditate on it day and night learn to draw nearer to it parents teach it to your children spouses share it with your spouse Share it with your coworkers. Share it with your friends, your family. Utter it from the depths of your soul. If we love God, if he has changed our hearts, then he will teach us to love his word. And if we love God's word, then friends, we will be like these trees planted by streams of, of water, constantly flowing, bearing fruit at every opportunity. Our leaf, it will not wither, in all that we do, we will act wisely according to the counsel of God's word. And eternally, friends, nothing, nothing, as Paul says at the end of Romans 8, nothing will be able to separate us from the love and the hope and the reward of Jesus Christ who awaits us in eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the goodness of your word. Thank you for your wise counsel. Lord, I pray this morning that, that none of my fellow Christians here would be discouraged, but that we would be drawn into a deeper love of your word. I pray, Lord, this morning for, that for any heart here who has not been truly changed by your grace, Lord, would be changed here and now by hearing uh, through faith the, the faithful preaching of your word. Lord, now let us return and rejoice and sing together in the hope that we have in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.